Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Event Industry News Podcast with me, James Dixon, wishing you a very good morning, afternoon or evening, whenever and wherever you join today's podcast from. And I'm delighted to say that on today's podcast, we talk to an actual event organiser about an actual event that's actually taken place. Over the last sort of however many months of doing the podcast, we've obviously spent a lot of time talking to people about events coming back, about some of the campaigning that's been ongoing within the industry um, in relation to support for the events industry during the pandemic. So it's really refreshing today and really exciting to bring somebody on today to talk about having run and delivered a successful event very, very recently. Joining the podcast today for the first time is Mr. James Gower. James is the Managing managing Director of the Game Fair, which took place between the 23rd and the 25th of July, and he's here today to tell us about the event. James, very, very good morning to you, and welcome to the Event Industry News Podcast. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome, James. Thank you for having me. Um, as I said, genuinely exciting. I've, I've spent a lot of time talking about events coming back and, you know, what people have been doing during the, the pandemic and during the downtime. And it, it, it's fantastic to be able to have you on the show today to talk about the event that you guys ran just a few weeks ago. Um, first of all, for people who are not familiar with the Game Fair, tell us a little bit about the event and the audience that it serves and the people who go to it. Well, game game in this instance um, is game as in food, so um, salmon, trout, venison, uh, that type of game. The the event started in uh, 1958, um, and so uh, it's been running for for more than 60 years. And uh, this year we were at Ragley Hall in uh, in Warwickshire, and the event has traditionally moved around the country, occupying um, big areas of uh, of uh, English estates. And Ragley Hall, of course, is a fantastic estate. It's a capability brown landscaped area. Um, we occupy about six, seven hundred acres. Um, and to put that in context, I think the Chelsea Flower Show is 12. Um, <laughs> wow. So uh, that, that gives you sort of sense of, uh, of scale. And since it began in 1958, there have been over five million visitors. Uh, we think about four million of those are still alive. Um, so, uh, so, so it has a great following, and in a way, it's the first ever. It's the first ever food festival. Absolutely, and, and you know, I, I was looking at, at the website and some of your social media feeds prior to us um, joining each other today to record this podcast, and um, it, it, it does encompass everything about the sort of the country lifestyle, doesn't it? Country pursuits, outdoor activities. Um, it, it, it fascinated me to look through some of the stuff that we've got there, but it, it struck me straight away as um, as having sort of multiple different areas, you know, different areas of interest for, for, for visitors, depending on what their likes may be and things that they would like to see. Outdoor cinemas, seminar theatres. Tell us a little bit about some of the content and what people were actually able to see and engage with at the event. Well, you're right. It's very varied. And uh, Prince Philip called it the shop window of the countryside. And uh, it, it, such a, you know, there are more dogs there than crufts. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it, it features um, clay pigeon shooting, um, gun dog trials, archery, uh, the, the whole food scene, the, the farm to fork, the food provenance, where food comes from, of course, is, is very important. Of course. There are around 800 exhibitors there. Uh, anything from Bentleys to cheese, um, and uh, such, such is the such is the variety. And this year we had 119,000 people who came to experience uh, all of that. 
Many of them camp for five nights. So there's a real festival atmosphere. And even the exhibitors tend to sleep behind their, behind their stands. Uh, so you, you really get a, a sort of sense of an outdoor show mixed, mixed with a festival. But ultimately, it's a celebration of the, of the countryside. Well, with the countryside, uh, this may sound really obvious to say, but with the countryside being such a vast entity, um, and you know, with the people who embrace and are actively involved in countryside activities, is it really is it a great opportunity for the community to actually get together in what is relatively a close environment over that weekend in order to to meet other people, to meet people that they may only see from afar during you know the other the other three hundred and sixty something days of the year? Yeah, I think it's a big social occasion and a networking uh, occasion as well. The countryside. Uh, is an industry. Um, in fact, it's lots of lots of different industries that all come together. And certainly on the Friday, whilst it's a consumer show, there's there's lots of B two B activity and networking taking place. Uh, so uh, people use the event in uh, you know a variety of ways. Some some come to do business to business. Lots of people will retail there to to the consumer, and the the consumers come there. Uh, for a social occasion and a day out, as well as as well as lots of shopping. So that shop window description, I think, is uh, is real really apt. Uh, mm. And then some people, of course, come to compete and uh, and take part in the competitions. Uh, yeah. And that can be that can be serious as well as fun. So for some people taking part in the gun dog trials, it means a lot to them if they are breeders of gun dogs and they're looking for champion dogs. And then, of course, it will uh, it will look good on the CV, whilst other people bring along the family pet to have a go. So, so really, uh, the event is used in a variety of ways, commercially and for fun. And and um, one thing that I was curious to ask you today, James, is is about new uh, a, a new audience, maybe that that you've um, you, you've experienced this year. Um, I, I'm aware of the fact that in the last twelve to eighteen months since the pandemic began. People have been unable to go abroad. We've embraced staycations. We've embraced seeing parts of, of the, the UK countryside that we may never have seen before because we always traditionally go to an airport and fly off somewhere. Um, given that people have spent more time outdoors and, and in the UK and exploring parts that they've never seen before, did you see that translated into any sort of new audience members and attendees to the show this year who maybe have not been before but who have embraced the countryside in the last 12 months? I think I think we did, um, and uh, people have said, haven't they? They've reconnected with the countryside. It's it was one place where they were able to go, and uh, uh, to get away from it all. And of course, just the scale of it allows everyone for socially distancing. Mm. So um, uh, I think people did uh, an element of people did rediscover the countryside, and I think that probably translated into ticket sales and and a few people coming. We also had around 230 brand new exhibitors as well, people that were displaced from other shows, shows that sadly couldn't take place. Mm. So there was an element of, uh, of, of a new audience, but also new exhibitors. And I'm hope, hoping that's one of the few good legacies of the pandemic, that it's allowed people to rediscover certainly the game fair, the countryside uh, and many other aspects of outdoor shows. So, uh, as I say, I think that could be could be one good part that came out of all of this. 
This, this is a, an appropriate moment to be uh, to, to mention the fact that we should have been joined by another guest today on the podcast, Mr. Mike Richmond, who many of you uh, in the industry will know from Richmond Event Management in Bristol, um, is is a key figure um, in terms of the production and, and the facilitation of, of the game fair and helping to put this event on. Sadly, is is feeling a little bit unwell today, so was unable to join us for the recording. So a shout out to, to Mike there. Hope you're feeling uh, better soon. Um, but from, from a, an organisation, a production point of view, James presumably last year's event had to be cancelled because of the pandemic did it give you an opportunity with a year off to, to reassess how the show was delivered did you look at things a little bit differently or was it always going to be a completely new production this year given some of the extra admin and hoops that presumably you had to jump through um the pause uh, certainly uh, allowed us to rethink things uh, we were already on that path anyway, uh, so we had already decided um, we had a, an enormous amount of our own equipment in a warehouse which we had to maintain and store and, and, and transport, um, and uh, our calculations suggested that that really was uh, a false economy. Mm. So, so we were already on, on, on the path for, um, for change, but the pandemic, I think, was a catalyst to pushing that over the line. and. Uh, we, we did embark on a very, very different approach to things. In fact, we cut down our build from 12 weeks to four weeks. Wow. Um, and uh, Catherine Bishop, our head of operations, um, sort of spearheaded that with, with Mike and his team in support. Um, and, it, uh, and, you know, it was a bit of a leap of faith. But uh, looking back now, you know, we should have done it years ago. Um, and uh, the, the expertise around um, made that a real triumph for us. We did have issues in the lead up to that. I think a lot of event organizers that were able to run events found that the supply chain, um, you know, was, uh, was, was reacting in a different way to the pandemic. So some suppliers were overseas, some were deployed on vaccination centers, mm. others sadly hadn't survived. So, so the whole supply chain uh, element was a challenge, um, but, uh, but Catherine and Mike uh, navigated their way through that and uh, delivered a fantastic show and as i say we we reduced our build up from 12 to 4 uh, and our breakdown was significantly quicker as well so that's something that we'll be taking forward for sure as we as we move to next year and beyond and and was the reduction in build time a combination of factors was it fewer elements being brought onto site was it more staff to actually build those? How, how was that actually delivered? Because that's a significant reduction. I mean, that's taking it from three months down to a single month. You know, that's yeah. that's a that's a massive reduction. Uh, absolutely. So there was um, smarter working. Um, and uh, you, we, we'd been doing things the same for year after year after year. Uh, and uh, the pandemic allowed us just to pause and say, look, you know, ought we you know, be doing it this way. Mm. I consulted, you know, lots of my friends in the industry, people like Tim Etchells, um, and uh, yeah, he'd been building big shows. Uh, my experience on the boat shows, you know, I rang a few old colleagues and I said, you know, are we, yeah, have I gone mad or, or, or sh should we be looking at another way of doing things? <laughs> um, and uh, they're people I trust and know and um, people like Murray Ellis from, from, from the boat show that have done amazing builds in the past as I say, Tim, and, and they said, no, I, I think you ought to look at this. So you know, we, we approached our fencing in a different way. Um, and there weren't fewer elements. In fact, I think we had more elements 
uh, this time. But what we did is we used contractors uh, for all of it, um, bringing, bringing specialist equipment in for the show and then taking it away. And before then, you know, we'd, we'd had our own and we were maintaining it, cleaning it, insuring it, storing it, moving it. Then we were hiring experts to put it in. Um, and we were building ourselves a village in order to do all of that. Um, and so for the first month, we were fulfilling our own needs before we'd even put a peg in the ground for the, for the game fair. Right. So, so this pause allowed everything just to, to, you know, to rationalize it, make sense of it. Uh, and push forward. And, uh, you know, I'm thrilled to say that despite all of the additional disruptions and challenges, and you, you can imagine the, uh, the consultation with our, with our safety advisory group and the local authority, yes. um, which I have to say were, were fantastic partners in this. Uh, happy to say more about that. But all mm. of those additions, and then this new approach, um, and it all fell into place. And and you you mentioned safety advisory group there, and I'm pleased that you did because, you know, they, they they've played an important role and an often probably underestimated role in the industry for many years now. And um, given what's happened in the last eighteen months, will now no doubt play an even more you know significant role in in the organisation of events. Um, two two things I'd like to like to ask. Um, Presumably, the reduction in build time helps given the nature of the venues that you select. You know, these sort of country estates, presumably by, you know, having people on site for, for, for less time is is better for them and their day to day uh, operations. And, you know, it, in terms of the safety advisory group, was that less time on site with the build good from a from a covid perspective? Because, you know, the longer you're on site, presumably the risk increases there of transmission. It increases the cost of testing and all of those sort of hoops that people are having, having to jump through, particularly given that the build took place before the final restrictions were lifted, if my timeline's correct. Yes. Um, well, I think the venues obviously um, enjoy shorter builds because it means they can put more events on. Um, you know, they can have more customers. Um, I think fewer people being on site for a shorter time uh, during a pandemic makes absolute sense. Having said that, the teams almost are small bubbles because uh, you know they're, they're they're there together for long periods of time. Yeah, um, we had continuous testing, um, and um, we we took that side of things very very seriously, and we did start building before the final restrictions had gone, but. Um, outdoor shows and agricultural shows were permitted um, after phase two, um, April 12th relaxations. Mm -hmm. um, so um, agricultural fairs, flower shows, outdoor shows um, fell within that category. And then on August 17th, when there were further restrictions lifted, um, uh, that meant that the game fair really, even at that point, could have carried on pretty much normally yeah. uh, there were some other factors too um a lot of what the game fair is and does is organized outdoor sport yeah so uh, you'll remember way back way back um uh in you know uh i want i was going to say tier one then but it wasn't the tier, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't yeah. the tier phase it think, it think... uh, roadmap one you know we were still allowed to do um uh, uh outdoor sports of camping course was camping was allowed uh, and farmers markets, of course, never, ever stopped. Mm. Um, so a lot of the game fair was a farmers market, organized outdoor sport and camping. Um, and then uh, and then these restrictions uh, in in May 
uh, were lifted. So, so we were confident enough to plow ahead, build, because we, you know, we certainly working with our safety advisory group, um, uh, uh, and they were looking at ways to make it happen, not to not make it happen. And I think that was a critical, you know, they were very proactive. That's fantastic to hear you describe it like that, that, that you know, and again, to, 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 to back up, you know, my experience of safety advisory groups, that is what they've always been there to do is to make events happen. And people have often misinterpreted them uh, as being there to, to, you know, put obstacles in the way of people. But um, as I said, my, my own experience is, is very much a proactive one. Um, how long had the, the discussions been progressing with the SAG that was, you know, that, that, that supports your own event? Um, presumably this is a year-round ongoing sort of communication process that takes place with them. But was there a period where it really ramped up? And when the roadmap was published, did that give you a real key indication and an opportunity to sit with them and say, right, we know what we need to do now? Yeah, I think it was a year-round dialogue. So um, certainly since the cancellation of the 2020 event, um, we, we Paul Reed, the uh, the chairman of the SAG in Warwickshire, was was on my speed dial, um, <laughs> and if I had a question or something to run past them, I felt I could do that. Um, it meant there were no surprises. There was continuous dialogue. We built up a relationship, uh, and I know um, I won't name any, but other events. Um, at that venue and others felt that they 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 didn't want to talk to them and there was a bit of secrecy and I think you're right there, there was a on oh my word you know what are they going to say to us sure. um, and um, uh, you know I, I know that some some the SAG felt that they should have had a bit more dialogue with with some of the others mm. um, all of them professional organizers um, but um, uh, that frequency of communication, even for a small, you know, can you help me with this? What do you think about that? I think uh, helped us. Sure. Um, when it comes to site layout, again, this is something that I was I was keen to to talk to you about today, James. Did the site layout change dramatically in the sense of, you know, putting any sort of one way elements in? I know that this is predominantly an outdoor event, so you are covered in one sense and and you have that luxury of, of being a predominantly outdoor event but um with it was the actual layout and the movement of visitors within the event really looked at carefully in terms of transmission and, and covid protocols this year uh yes we um we've made several um uh, i mean the show already had very wide aisles so um the game fairs traditionally had 10 meter wide aisles uh, we'd expand, expanded our campsite pitches so that they were 10 by 10, which is in industry terms, um, you know, that's vast. It is, um, absolutely. Yeah. You, Anybody you, who's been to a festival will know that that's, uh, that's an absolute five-star luxury to have that sort it, of space. It, it, exactly. And um, you, we, we'd already undertaken, um, I'd say, standard. Uh, it's funny how quickly we adapt to the situation. None of it's standard, is it? But we'd already no. adapted. <laughs> to um you know the hand sanitizer additional toilets more showers additional cleaning more frequent cleaning um so we'd undertaken um quite a lot of uh, of those elements as well as layout we had got a one-way um system in place had we needed to um we were already set up for tables of six in our restaurants um and um you know qr codes on standby and so so we we, we were ready for that um as i say to even run in what would have been uh roadmap three mm. um and um when the when the restrictions were finally lifted 
uh, incredibly, you know, a few days before um, we kept them in place. Um, right. So we didn't implement the one way system. We could have done. But we, we, you know, having having put all those safety measures in place, there was no point not having them. Uh, yeah. And some of them will keep, you know, going forward as well. Well, a- a- absolutely. And, and again, you raise an interesting point there about, um, I suppose, audience expectation as well and how until events came back, we spoke a lot in this podcast about not knowing truly what an audience would behave like, how they would react until you actually saw them walk back through the gates for the first time. Um, and as you rightly point out, the restrictions had ended. You could have probably abandoned a lot of the stuff that you put in place, but was a lot of it to make sure that your audience and your attendees and the exhibitors felt safe when they walked through those gates. Yeah, it was. Um, it, it certainly was. We, uh, we decided that we were going to um, allow people to buy tickets in advance only. Uh, that would have given us a phone number and email address. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, you, you, I think the public were keen to hear that and un- understand that. Uh, and I've no doubt that we may have uh, missed some of our audience this year, um, our regular audience, that is. Yeah, that was easily compensated for by new people discovering us, mm-hmm. um, and we had one hundred nineteen thousand people um, o- over three days, which um, uh, you know, must have been the largest event in the UK at that time. It must have been, yeah, um, certainly, certainly one of them. Um, and I think on site, everybody, uh, the atmosphere was fantastic. They felt comfortable, um, and. Um, you, you know that the, there weren't any um there wasn't any sense of fear um uh, people um that wanted to wear masks did i have to say not many did right um and uh you know it helps that it was outdoors it, it's a huge outdoor space and everyone's got space um and uh i think after all that time of not being allowed to do things they came out and they celebrated um they spent a lot of money with our exhibitors um but it was a feeling of celebration uh, it really was um mm. and uh, it was it was great to be part of that did you um i i, I must ask this because i'm sure that people listening to this today will be shouting at me to ask a question did you ask for for any sort of testing or or any form of um you know vaccination proof you know as people arrived for the event be it exhibitors or attendees um, again, we were ready to. We were advised. Um, we advised our exhibitors. Uh, we sent out um, joining instructions, um, uh, guide guides for visitors and uh, and exhibitors. Um, I think uh, after a while, uh, that was becoming increasingly difficult to police. Sure. Um, you know, with the government making their noises um, and. Um, I can't remember, it's just before you know, Boris saying he wasn't going to vaccinate. Uh, no, he wasn't going to isolate. Do isolate, yes. I do uh, remember this, yes. yes. So so lots of those measures were, were becoming increasingly uh, difficult to enforce. Yeah. Um, so in the end, along with the safety advisory group, um, you know, it was better to uh, offer advice uh, and um, sort of common sense instructions because uh, I think that was going to be... Uh, more likely to be observed than some of the other things once it became you know very hard to uh what is it um do as i say not as i do absolutely yeah and i dare say that a lot of people you know 
I've gone to places and I've seen friends and family in the last few few weeks. And just as a safety precaution, I know that my wife and I have, have done a lateral flow test. You know, we just thought, well, we've got them in the cupboard. Let's do some. Let's make sure. Okay, okay great. We're negative. We, we'll go off and see those people. And it's really sort of adopting that common sense um a, a, approach to life now that we've been asked to adopt you know um if you are going somewhere there are no restrictions but just be sensible about it and i think at some point you do have to put your faith don't you in in, in your attendees and your exhibitors and give them that guidance and say this is what we suggest you follow but given everything that you've said about the event that it could have run in earlier stages of the roadmap quite effectively because of the boxes that it ticks. Yeah. I, I guess, it, it, you know, looking at it pragmatically, there's no real need to then insist on something that was never going to be part of, of um, the earlier stages anyway. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. And you know, we, we'd consult, you know, our audience is um, predominantly 50 plus. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, again, we we we'd, we'd gone through these scenarios with the SAG, and we went, well, hang on, you know, they're fifty plus; they're more likely to be double vaccinated than other parts mm. of the population. Yeah, um, and uh, so we'd considered all of that analysis uh, as another layer over the sort of practical um, safety measures delivered on site. Excellent. Um, just just going back to sort of the actual, the, I, I guess, the feeling and the, uh, the, dare I say, it, the romanticism about being back on site. Um, was was there genuine, you know, amongst your team, amongst the exhibitors, amongst the audience, a, a sort of a sense of euphoria? You know, was was there a very was there a noticeably more social atmosphere to the to the event this year because people have been away for a year and because people felt so good to be back doing something like that? I think there was. I mean, we 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 were all working flat out, you know. So um, uh, you get lost in the moment, don't you? And it, and actually, it was quite easy to get back in the swing of things. So yeah, mm. we were on site doing a job. Um, but there was the, the odd occasion in the evening. I'd look across, uh, you know, to Mike and Catherine and go, "Bloody hell, look what we're doing!" Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, and and. So, you know, and so there were those moments, um, and uh, we just felt very lucky, really blessed to be able to, to do what we love doing. Mm -hmm. um, but during the day, we just slipped into our, our event organizing mode. You know, we'd get sure. up really early and start putting the show on. Um, but in the evenings, when you you know you sit down and have a drink with your colleagues, and you look around and you go, "This is really special, isn't it?" and um, uh, and we felt, um, you know, re really lucky and quite thrilled to be doing it. How how easy was it for you and your team to slip back into organiser mode? Because, again, something that's been discussed on the podcast in, in recent months is this idea that because some people have been out and, and missed their events last year, um, is that they're not necessarily match fit, you know, that, that they've, they've had that much sort of time away from doing things that they've got to sort of grind themselves back into that mentality and the you know getting switched back on to run events did you find it quite easy or was it a bit of a shock to the system to sort of be back on there on those build days and on the live days um i think uh there are two sides to being match fit there's the physical fitness mm. uh and uh, i think a few people um you know found that they were aching in parts that they wouldn't <laughs> normally <laughs> um, uh, as they were using muscles they, they hadn't been used to uh, while sitting in their bedrooms and attics for a year. Um, <laughs> and then there's the mental fitness. Um, and mentally, we were ready. Yeah. Uh, meant no issue. It just, it, it just fell back into place. And um, th th there were no issues there at all. 
Fantastic to hear. Um, you mentioned that, that historically, from a venue point of view, um, it, it, it moves you know, to different estates. Um, am I right in saying that next year's event, you're going to stick with the same same location as, as this year? Or is it a new event for, for a new site for next year? No, next year we are back at Ragley Hall. Um, we, we invest a lot of money in the actual venue itself in terms of communications, infrastructure. So a lot of money goes, goes into... Um, uh, the physical installation of things mm-hmm. um, and of course the disruptive year we'd had we, we decided this was a consolidation year yeah um, and um, so we we're, we're back there that's helping us because the exhibitors had a lovely time um, and traditionally events will say you know would you like to um, uh, would you like your same spot next year and we've never been able to do that mm. um, we've never really had um, a sell-on um, or, you know, the on-sell that people talk about uh, because uh, we've had a new floor plan in a different venue. Um, but this time uh, we have been able to do that. The response has been absolutely overwhelming. Um, we are so significantly far ahead of, of where we would normally be in, in our sales and commercial cycle. Um, so that's been that's been one of the benefits and it was definitely the right decision that you know we consolidate this year moving forward to to 2022 at Radley Hall. Yeah, absolutely. And and again as as you rightly point out that continuity is is a godsend for organizers. You know, whilst there's a lot to be said for this type of event moving to different locations and embracing different estates and different outdoor spaces which ultimately reflects on the content of the show as well. Um like you said having that continuity into next year is great. From a production point of view, presumably, you know, from an infrastructure point of view, your your power, your you know, fencing, all of your you know, uh, communications infrastructure, structures themselves, catering, food and beverage, camping, everything stays presumably the same for next year, which which does make the planning um, a lot simpler. It, it certainly does. We um, uh, will carry forward, I, I suppose, ninety percent of what we did, and and um, yeah, there's always ten percent learning. Um, and um, we will uh, uh, we'll make some adjustments and some improvements. The estate themselves are adding some new roadways, um, making access for organisers and the public better at Ragley Hall, um, and some of that infrastructure will be completed and ready for 2022, mm-hmm. which we'll take advantage of. Um, but largely, the layout worked well. As I say, exhibitors want to be in the same spot mostly, um, and... Um, uh, you know, we can spend our time and our energy making it, you know, really superb and polishing what we what we achieved, rather than reinventing it, which of course we've done every year since it began. <laughs> pretty much, it's been reinvented. Um, and there's nice parts of that. You know, the audience comes to a different venue and, and it's fresh, um, but there are also benefits to uh, staying in the same venue. Absolutely. And, and I think given the year that everybody had last year, I think it's um, there'll be very few people listening or watching this today, James, who who would disagree with with adopting that way forward, certainly for next year. And I dare say other events that that utilize a similar process of moving from venue to venue historically year on year will be doing exactly the same thing um, this year and next year. Um, we've been talking on the podcast today to Mr. James Gower. James is the managing director of the Game Fair. It's been fantastic to talk to him today. 
to get a little insight as to how the show was put on this year, things that they did. The show took place between the 23rd and the 25th of July this year. If you'd like to find out a little bit more about the show and some of the stuff that we've been talking about today, thegamefair.org is their website. And if you hop over onto social media, I know that they're active on, on several of the social media channels, but uh, Twitter, for example, is just at the Game Fair. I'm sure if you search the Game Fair on the other social media platforms, you will also find plenty of information, pictures, um, and you'll be able to do your own research into, into what the show is about and how it went about its business this year. James, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been great to have you um, on the show, uh, a great guest, and um, do keep in touch. You know, Let, let us know um, how things progress. We'd love to speak to you about uh, you know next year's event um, when the time comes. Do come back on and tell us how things are going. We'd love to. We're all off to Schoon for the Scottish Game Fair shortly, so uh, we've got to do it all again. Um, and uh, be very happy to tell you about that. And restrictions have just been lifted again in Scotland. Um, so, it, it, you know, someone's looking, looking favourably at us, um, and I can't wait to tell you about it. That's fantastic. No, th thank you very much for joining us today. Of course, if you'd like to find out a little bit more about what we do, eventindustrynews.com is the website. If you are watching this today on the website already, don't forget to go over to your chosen podcast platform on your mobile device. You can listen to audio versions of all 250-something episodes of the Event Industry News podcast. Of course, if you are listening to this today, eventindustrynews.com is the place to visit after you've finished listening to today's podcast. Check out the latest news, features, and supplements on the website. Website. You can also watch video versions of all of the podcasts. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. Our thanks once again to Mr. James Gower from the Game Fair for talking to us today. We hope to see him back in a few months' time to find out a little bit more about what's gone on north of the border up in Scotland with the Scottish edition of their event. And we'll see you on the next edition of the Event Industry News podcast. Goodbye. Goodbye.